This is the You Winning Life Podcast, your number one source for mastering a positive existence. Each episode, we'll be interviewing exceptional people, giving you empowering insights, and guiding you to extraordinary outcomes. Learn from specialists in the worlds of integrative and natural wellness, spirituality, psychology, and entrepreneurship. So you too can be winning life. Now, here's your host, licensed marriage and family therapist, certified neuro-emotional technique practitioner, and certified entrepreneur coach, Jason Wasser. Today's guest is Zach Schlein, digital marketer, mental health advocate, and content creator. He's an expert in personal branding. And his first company was created his senior year of college called Begin You which was a platform for college students to find projects and work opportunities to develop their skills. Following Begin You, he launched his second company, Top Romp, an online dating blog that reviewed hacks and apps for the modern dater. While he was pursuing his master's in information management from Syracuse University, he launched his third company, Lift Protein Muffins, where he first dipped his toe into crowdfunding and raised over $5,000 in 30 days on Kickstarter. He works as a data analyst, and while in school, he co-authored the book Hacking the Internship Process, which became the best seller for internships on Amazon. One year later, he sold his first company, Top Romp, and following graduation, he secured a job in IT with Johnson & Johnson. He has dedicated himself to helping people with mental health issues. He has launched a $9,500 project on Caring Crowd, which is a crowdfunding platform for nonprofits and has collaborated with the National Alliance of Mental Health, NAMI. He's also the founder of the Mental Health Slack community, 18%. And he is now the co-founder and creator of Filter Off, which is a video dating app for young professionals. All the meanwhile, he is working with entrepreneurs, helping them and others grow their companies and their nonprofits, as well as helping them reach their crowdfunding goals. Zach, thanks for hanging out and welcome to the You Winning Life podcast. All right, Zach, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. So of the many things we can probably talk about today, knowing that Filter Off is your primary job, day-to-day business and uh, community engagement. I definitely want to go to the backstory, a little bit about how you got here. I know that you kind of have a background in serial entrepreneurship. Um, you've dabbled, I don't want to call it dabbling, but you've uh, led the way in a lot of mental health advocacy. Um, so I kind of just want to start off with a little bit of who you are, where you're from, what led you, what, you know, where did that bug bite you as far as the, thinking about yourself as entrepreneurial, getting into that space, moving into that tech aspect of it. And um, and then we'll go from from where that led you into other places and other things we're going to get into today. Yeah, for sure. So I uh, grew up in Westchester, New York uh, with my parents and my brother and went to undergrad at Syracuse University. Going into college, initially I was thinking of being a veterinarian but quickly realized I wasn't very good at science. And then I knew I loved history and I was thinking about doing like the history of poli sci program, decide on history. So I was actually a history major thinking maybe I'll go to law school. And then my senior year of college, I decided not to go to law school Probably and a kind smart of fell into, 
yeah it was just i was like i'm not studying for the LSAT. like this is not my calling and then i kind of fell into a project that i started uh i found a co-founder it was called begin you it was a a college it was the idea was to help college students gain real world experience while they're in college by connecting them to other student run startups and this idea of like connecting people was really something that was important to me and still is very important and that's kind of the common thread i've seen in most of the startups that i've run and so yeah i mean to answer your question that's what kind of gave me the entrepreneurial bug working on begin you and falling in love with like building and building a tech product and i was mm -hmm. like this is so cool and if i could do this and it's successful where i could do this full time and be financially independent this would be a dream unfortunately it was not uh successful and end up going back for my master's and i did an information management so more much more technical mm -hmm. and then i started a full-time role at Johnson and Johnson and had a few other startups in between. And then with filter off, we launched prior to the pandemic and then the pandemic hit and really took off. It's a video speed dating app. And then we raised last year around November and we raised $2.4 million. It was led by Anheuser-Busch's venture arm, ZX Ventures, and then left Johnson Johnson. And yeah, so it's kind of the dream, finally, after 11 years. Yeah. Well, that's what they read. It's uh, the overnight success in, in 10, to, 10 to 15 years is the average, what they say, right? So something you, you started off saying of like, you know, all these different things that you wanted to do. And I know it's so common that like growing up, right? What, what guy, like what little kid didn't want to be a baseball player or what kid doesn't want to be a doctor or right? all these things. And there was a, um, I saw something last night. So it's so apropos to what you're saying is that there is a picture someone took um, in an interview with George Bush Jr., right? The last George Bush president. And he became a painter, right? And he's now doing all these really cool things. And the, the line at the top was, this is what happens when you force your children into doing a job that they shouldn't be doing in the first place, right? He's now having this like amazing stellar resurgence as this like incredible artist, but yet thinking what he had to do, the family business, all these other things, but maybe his like deep down passion was being an artist. And right now he's hitting that later in life. And it's something that I've been like really thinking about, especially growing up in, you know, certain communities and certain backgrounds that we kind of, you know, there's the family business or there's a certain path that we have to take, or there's certain jobs that are uh, deemed more esteemed in our society. And, and I'm wondering, like, as you were going through your journey, what was that? Was there any struggle to that? Was there any, um, whether spoken or unspoken pres pressures that you felt while you were sifting and sorting through that? No, there was no pressure. My dad was a doctor. Um, he put zero pressure on me. It was, I think my biggest challenge was I had no idea what I wanted to do after I realized I wasn't going to be a veterinarian. And then at that point, I was just like, well, maybe lawyer, because that's something that's familiar to me. No one in my family is lawyers, but I have friends whose parents were lawyers. But like, running a tech business that was not anything that I ever 
thought about. And then the other thought was like sales because I did sales in college, like in the summers. I worked at Cutco selling knives and then also at Best Buy. And I liked sales, but I was like, it wasn't challenging enough. That's why I was like, mm. I don't really want to go into sales. Um, yeah, so it was more just like not knowing and being a little unclear. Yeah, and that's what I see, right? When you find the things that are passionate, and a lot of people don't realize, and I had this for me, like I was sharing with you before, um, before becoming a therapist, I was, uh, you know, what we would call a professional Jew. I was working in the nonprofit Jewish world, doing programming in camps and working at, uh, at, at a student life programming at Hillel at Princeton University. So right down the block from New Brunswick. Um, so, right, I, I always knew for me that there was something, I guess, bigger but it didn't hit me until I realized like the whole day I was basically in conversation with everybody I was working with outside of the programs. And I was kind of doing therapy, but I wasn't trained to do therapy. And it took one of my students who was a senior going to a uh, conflict resolution program to be like, oh, have you ever thought about becoming a therapist and help me look up some programs? And that's how I ended up back in South Florida. But it's 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 such a struggle where I hear even people who are already 10, 15 years in a career and they're just not, you know, there's the salary side of it. I need to have stability, but then there's the passion, you know, the passion and purpose side of it. Where, where do you see as you've been journeying, whether it's, you know, when you're talking about internships for college students, I'm really curious one, why do you believe internships are um, as important for exploring and experiencing what you like and you don't like versus just getting your foot into the door and like, offering yourself into this experience where you're like, I don't even know if I'm going to like this. Like what, what are some of your, you know, your thoughts and that you've learned for students or maybe even postgraduate that are thinking about like, maybe I should do an internship to figure that out. Yeah. I think first of all, internships are a great way to develop yourself. And depending on the sort of company you'll likely learn a lot, you'll get experience in like the professional world, but you'll see if you like, the work or not. Um, and a lot of the projects I worked on that also gave me the experience to be like, Oh, I really like this or I really don't like this. That's kind of how I fell in love with marketing was just projects that I was working on personally. Um, yeah. All the internships was more on like sales biz dev, less marketing. The marketing really came from my own projects. Some, definitely an advocate of doing your own thing as well. The only downside is you may not be making money with internships. Typically they're paid nowadays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, I went back for my master's program to explore uh, because at that point I was not planning on going full time because I didn't have like a paycheck. So it kind of gave me, an, like another year and a half to kind of delay entering the workforce and figuring out what I like and what I didn't like as well and learn new skills that could be used in the workforce. So that's kind of how I looked at my master's and decided for information management because it was like, well, I love tech. That was my ultimate goal. By yeah. that point, I knew like I wanted to have, be entrepreneurial and have my own thing, but I also needed a paycheck. So that's why I was like, well, I'll join something full time. And hopefully one of my startups right. will work out. But it gave me skills and 
to be applied for the real world as well. Yeah, I'm finding it like that when people are sifting and sorting through this and you know, it's kind of that Jahari's window, you know what you know, other people know what you don't know, you know what other people right and then there's you know, just your complete oblivious that until you put yourself in those circumstances or situations, you wouldn't even know that something you may be interested in or good at actually shows up or appears in an industry or a career that you didn't even know could be applied. And I, I think that's something that, you know, as I've seen it one with my clients, but two, as I'm trying to share with people listening and hearing and getting to, you know, hear your story and other stories on the podcast is, oh, I didn't know you can apply X to industry Y, or I didn't know that I can even be good enough to go into this because I don't even know where to start. Have you, have you seen like just trends or changes from where you are? I mean, the startup world has shifted so radically and, and I know there's, you know, with cryptocurrencies and all these other things, which we're not going to necessarily get in today, but do you feel like it's, it's one where people say like, I want to have a startup, they understand what that even means, or there's still a level of sexiness, like Silicon Valley, you know, TV show type of thing. Like, we're just going to bang this out and find a bunch of people to do this at minimum wage. Like, do you like, like one, like, so I guess I want to break that into two questions. One, like what, what's shifted in the industry from when you started to like, what do you think is like, you know, the false beliefs that people who might be wanting to get into this maybe don't think they know or think that they know, and maybe they're really inaccurate and it will make it more difficult for their journey to figure this out. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, the statistic is most people that have a startup that's successful are above the age of 40. Mm -hmm. um, typically when students start startups, they typically don't work because once their co-founders enter the workforce and they could get paid a pretty decent salary, they're going to stop working on their startup. But again, I, I fall back to just like gaining experience. It's great to just try something. Um, it, but it is, in my opinion, um, sad to see students working more on the legal stuff. Like, oh, I need an LLC or a, a C-Corp. And it's like, just start working. Like, yeah. just, just put yourself out there. Like, have you even made a sale yet? They're like, no, but I'm working on this idea. I'm like, you may realize once you actually start trying, you don't even like this idea. Right. So I think that's a little actually sad to see because um, mm -hmm. they have this like vision of what a entrepreneur is or starting a business. And it's so much harder. I think people realize. And then- yeah. And I often students, when I've spoken to students, there's a, like, for example, this happened recently. Someone's like, yeah, I want to get into like data analysis. I'm like, really? That's cool. So what are you working on? They're like, well, I don't have any projects. I'm like, just use the internet. You have so much data. And that's yeah. what I used to do. Like I loved sports. I used to work actually for an NFL agent in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. And I would take data sets and just like do statistical programming on it. Like that's the beauty, and especially with different industries, you could find interesting industries through data sets. So like, if you like sports, you could do a sports data set. If you like cars, you could do something in that industry. If you like yeah. it, finance, you could do, I think that's the beauty of the internet is like, you can get so much to do without asking permission to someone or an employer giving you a project, just diving in. And going back to what I said before, it's just about starting. It's not less about like this idea because ideas are just really absolutely meaningless. Yeah.
Yeah. No, I know that the universe rewards the action step is what one of my mentors says. And um, I have this conversation all the time. There's a bunch of new therapists that I'm coaching for business development and mindset and um, not necessarily from the clinical side, but from their, you know, how are they being perceived and how are they putting themselves out there? And they're always so stuck in like, well, I do cognitive behavioral therapy or I do hypnosis. Or like, like, I don't know if like anybody at this point, people care about these modalities. They want to know what are you uniquely trained? Like what is the niche that you can be absolutely amazing about solving their problem? And I think that's kind of how we have to look at it for going into whether it's an internship or applying for a job, like what's the unique skill set about a unique set of problems that you are the best person that you eventually can build into being the best person in that industry and be known for that. And I think that will bring a lot more recognition and success to someone who's like, I'm going to get you know, all of these tech, like Substack and, and and all these other whatever tech based programs and certificates. That's great. Right. But, but like, what are you like, do you see that? Like, do you see like people are just kind of going too generic and trying to hit too much versus like becoming an expert in one unique set. And is there pros and cons to that? I mean, when I was younger, I, I sometimes would think like, oh, I have my hands in too many things, but I think mm -hmm. just follow, I don't want to prescribe or anything. I think it's okay if you have lots of different interests. Oftentimes some of the your initial interests kind of fall by the wayside and sometimes they kind of interconnect. Mm -hmm. Like I always knew like, oh, I like my initially started with sales, but then I got really into like digital marketing. And then I was and I was trying a few different projects. And then it just kind of works itself out. I think the most important thing is just being on the field, working, pushing, executing every day. And then Things will work out. It may take a long time, may take a few years, and being patient with that process. But I don't think you have to worry about like, oh, am I? Do I have my hands in too many things? Um, unless you're starting things, and then you stop it right away, and like maybe you should put a little bit more energy and focus onto one thing. But I, again, that's really up to the person to yeah. kind of see what works and what doesn't. Well, it sounds like consistency of, right. I mean, I know new professionals probably have to get more of a wider scope, whatever field they're in, so they can understand all the different components or aspect, at least at a bare minimum. And then you, you know, drive down maybe five, 10 years into your, into your industry and kind of get more, more developed and focused. It's kind of. Yeah. But on the flip side, to add to mm -hmm. that, I recently hired like um, a head of growth on my team mm -hmm. and almost, I probably interviewed about 30 people and the one common denominator being a small startup, we have five people on our team now. It's like for this type of role, I needed someone who can do many things. Uh -huh. So almost everyone I spoke to was like, I am an expert at branding or I'm an expert at email or I'm an expert at ads as a media buyer. And I'm like, that's great. But like, I need an expert at a lot of these things, especially if you are like the initial team member. This isn't mm. like a 50 person team where I could just right. get someone just focused on email. Or right. Just Eventually focused that on person, branding. as the company grows, that person might supervise one of those areas, but exactly. right now we need to be 
their hands in the pot in multiple yeah. ways. Yeah, and that makes sense, right? And especially in the startup. And I see this, right? That's that whole e-myth mentality of a right, technician, entrepreneur, manager type of space. And where are you as far as the developmental stages of whether it's your company, your business, your startup, whatever it might be. Um, it's interesting to see that point of view because I do believe that's an important developmental stage of every company. And your name might be on all of the org chart in all these different roles until you, yeah. right? And, and I'm walking through one of my um, one of my business coaching clients. I'm helping them figure that out. Okay, what are all the jobs that you're doing now that your company has grown to X amount of dollars that we can start like finding someone who can either be your assistant or that's a full-time position for this division of your company. And it's, it's interesting to see that like relationships, which we're going to get into in a second, like family, like our personal, right? There's developmental stages. And um, it's something that we have to definitely, definitely be aware of. So I want to talk a little bit just, um, you know, before we go into the filter off is there was a part of your life where you were really involved in being an advocate for, for mental health and, um, and then you leverage that towards crowdfunding. So let's just take a few minutes to just share a little bit about that and um, how that led you into crowdfunding and partnerships and then how that took you um, later on, whether it was direct or indirect, but the skills you learned into uh, how and why you created filter off. Yeah, sure. So I had a close family friend um, by the name of Lewis. And when he was 19, he was diagnosed with bipolar and schizoaffective disorder. And then three years later, he went for a walk and uh, he they found his remains like near river. And um, so like in response, I wanted to do something for the family. And I... Uh, there was a platform at Johnson Johnson at the time called Caring Crowd. It's no longer, uh, no longer exists, but mm -hmm. ends up raising $9,500 for NAMI, New Jersey. Uh, and it was to support, uh, like give materials for people who have like mental health conditions, support their program. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I ended up raising another $30,000 to support like a few I think it was like a couple hundred families where at least one member of their family who had some sort of mental health condition. Um, and that went to NAMI El Dorado because that's, and that's where the family was from in California. Uh, and then I partnered uh, with someone, his name is David, and uh, we had started 18%. As I remember, I went up to him. I was like, hey, like, it's nice to donate money, but like, how do I make a difference? Like, why don't we do a community um, around mental health? We host on Slack. We called it 18% because the statistic, like one in five Americans at any given moment have some sort of mental health condition. Um, yeah. So it was a community grew to over like 20,000 people. Uh, There's different channels, bipolar, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, and it just gave people a way to connect with other people that are struggling or who are doing well, but are diagnosed and it, it gave people community. And we had partnered with uh crisis text line. So if you had reached out to the crisis uh, uh, text uh, and you were like, Hey, I'm lonely. Uh, they would actually refer people out to our community. So it was a really wow. cool uh, relationship and, uh, lots of hotlines uh, referred to 18%, uh, no longer exists, but um, that went on for about five years. And um, it was a pretty amazing uh, community that we had built. And um, yeah, it was just a really special experience. Yeah. Is there any stories that just kind of 
stand out to you from the top of your mind without obviously breaking confidentiality, but that, that really impacted you while you guys were, were doing that and creating that community. I mean, like one story, there is this girl um, and she's like, Hey, um, I'm going to kill myself. And then like people were like supporting her. Um, and then like the next day, she like messaged us, the moderator. She's like, by the way, because this community, I ended up not ending my life. Like I got a lot of support. But those types of stories happened weekly. Yeah. And a lot of these stories I'll never know, but uh, I'm sure we we definitely made a really big impact and it was yeah. very special. I think that's what people are searching for, right? We're coming out of this really difficult time, both you know, COVID and politics and community has been kind of broken up over the last couple of years and whether, you know, people are doing stuff based on hobby or going into the office or right now you're, you're in a WeWork right now. Uh, what an interesting story that company has in of itself. Right. Um, but I, I think people, right. The way that we're getting segmented and our mental health has taken a massive hit definitely does affect us professionally, but I think also like going into the romantic side of things into our relationships and uh, dating and all these things. So, so let's talk a little bit about filter off and, and, you know, what you set off at the beginning that you thought it was going to be what it's turned into. And, um, you know, maybe just some of the, the challenges and stressors and, and, and aha moments you've had along the way with that as well. Yeah, for sure. So I really started filter off because I was an avid online dater and, it was pretty frustrating getting lots of matches and finally going on in-person dates and realizing like two minutes into the day, like I don't want to be here, yeah. whether it was because we didn't have chemistry or whether just I was not attracted and the photos looked different. And then I started asking dates beforehand. I'm like, let me change it up. So I started asking dates beforehand if they'd be open to video chatting. Most said no, but the ones that were cool with it, it just like made all the difference. And I was mm -hmm. like, wow, online dating is so broken. It could be so much better yeah. if this was just the user experience, a video date before meeting up in person. So that's what I set out to do. And then we launched right before the pandemic. And yeah, it just took off. That April of 2020 got covered by the BBC and then the New York Times. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, just yeah, really took off. So we're in like, every major market, but our focus is purely uh, in New York City at this moment, but we have users around the world. So walk us through like, so someone who, you know, who is it targeted to who, I mean, is it for all backgrounds and right? I mean, the dating platform industry is so, I mean, as it switched from websites to apps, but like Spark, right? They're like, they own everything that you don't even realize, right? Whether it's from like, they bought JDate to JSwipe to Christian Mingle to, I don't know, what is it? Farmers Day? I don't know, the ones that everybody makes fun of, all the different ones um, for every little niche category. So this is like, I don't know, last time I heard they were making over a hundred million dollars a year. I'm sure the number is somewhere larger than that at this point. So this is a big industry to get into. Um, was there certain struggles that you, that you had, you know, one moving it, you know, being an app based program and two, like getting people to like, a hear about it, know about it, trust it. Cause it's a different, like you said, it's video based versus just swiping and hopefully someone will answer and not have like, or just swiping everybody. So how did you set up that intentionality a little bit more? Um, how did that, how did that take at the beginning and what was some of those struggles and challenges you had? through that well when we launched before the pandemic i think it was kind of expected which was most people weren't 
comfortable video chatting. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the pandemic and the sentiment around going on a video date became the norm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we started with virtual speed dating events where it was like you date at a specific time and it's like round robin, you have speed dates. Then we also, one thing that people kept saying was like, oh, I can't make a certain time. Uh, so and then we added uh, what we call daily picks. So like every day you get a certain amount of profiles that you could see. And then if you both like each other and you match, you then set up a video chat. Mm. You have five days to set up a video chat or the match expires. So like from a user experience, like the ethos of our app is the video speed date. Um, yeah. That's what we want people to go on. And then if you like them, then you can actually meet up in person um, or jump back on another video chat with them after the speed date. So, yeah, I mean, that's really the goal. Like in New York City, the average person goes on five video dates a week. So by far the highest out of any dating app um, on the market. So, yeah, I mean, that's the goal we want. You meet people, not just profiles. Yeah. And as far as successful... I mean, I'm assuming people are meeting and dating and any, any feedback as far as like long-term relationships so far, any engagements, any, any weddings so far? Yeah. I mean, we've had uh, a number of weddings that I'm aware of. Um, one of which was covered in the New York times. It was a Jewish wedding. Uh, we partnered one of our earliest like communities that we partnered with was a Jewish Syrian community. Mm-hmm. Like that alone created like six, seven engagements that I'm aware of. I mean, now maybe even more. So that was pretty special to see. Um, And that's when we started focusing on like, oh, let's bring these communities together. Mm -hmm. They're like-minded, whether it's like on religion or ethnicity. And now we do like in-person events as well in New York City with the same sort of focus, like being on a specific niche. Yeah. Do you find that there's any cultural competency like you're talking about like a, a very niche community within the jewish community like is there stuff that you that you and your team had to learn in order to um navigate that or you find that there's just enough similarities between different communities through this platform to create something yeah i mean the community is just a way to bring people together i mean when you go on like you when you're using like daily picks or you're attending virtual speeding events you could attend just like a regular NYC date night. Mm-hmm. Um, you could set your preferences like on religion or on ethnicity with deal breakers. And then there's these like more niche communities and anyone could actually create events on our platform. It's self-service. So sometimes people create very niche community events and I'll accept it. I'll prove it. And it's private to their community. Like it requires a code to join or they sell tickets. So they actually bring in revenue, which is pretty cool. That is. Um, yeah, so it's very so, peer led. It's not just run from an organization where you really don't have much control over, but you really, I, th- I think that's one thing I'm hearing from you consistently is the formation of an empowerment of community. Yeah. In this case, I consider filter off less of a, it's not that we're building communities, we're enabling communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and same sort of thing, like with our in-person events, like some of our commu- events have been like just a general like 90s party, but we've also had like Jewish singles or South Asian singles. Uh, so lots of different types of events as well. And we partner with existing communities on a lot of these in-person events as well. So now that you've been in this for a little bit, and you're 
formally a matchmaker extraordinaire um what what are some of the things that you're seeing because i see this often as you and i were talking before that like people are going from event to event um a lot of the events aren't necessarily set up to be conducive for actual engagement right either the music is too loud or someone doesn't know how to approach someone or they come into like is there stuff that you've seen one from your own point of view as a person going through uh dating apps and dating events but to what you're hearing from the community as like struggles that they're going through, uh, things that, you know, a person might need to take ownership and accountability on to work on themselves in some way, shape or form, how they're approaching messaging someone. Is there any, you know, kind of tips and hacks and, and, and you know, little pointers that you can share with us on that? Yeah, I think the beauty of Filter Off, we really blend the virtual worlds within person one. That's why we have these in-person events as well. Some mm-hmm. people feel more comfortable meeting in person. Some people feel more comfortable meeting in app. It's really nice when you're on filter off, you match with someone, let's say you're in New York and you hit it off. And then after you video chat, you message, you jump back on another video chat and you're like, Hey, are you going to the in-person event tomorrow? And they're like, Oh, I am. And then like, then they go together to the in-person mm-hmm. event. So it's cool to see. I think we do a really good job in bridging that gap. A lot of apps just focus on in-person. A lot mm-hmm. of apps just focus on virtual. And I think we do a great job doing both. Um, and I think it comes down, again, I think community is an important factor. One thing we've seen based off the data is people do care about, oftentimes based off of religion and ethnicity. They're by mm-hmm. far uh, the most important deal breakers for most people. And oftentimes when you have this common commonality, then it uh, helps with like trust and with trust, it allows you to feel comfortable yeah. to connect with someone like that. So I think there's a lot of human psychology involved. I think we've done a pretty good job from a user experience where it simulates like an in-person matchmaker, but in through the app um, and doesn't feel like a clunky experience. And we also have a mobile as well as web experience. So I think we've done a really good job in kind of hitting all those bases. Yeah. So as someone's listening, like, okay, I want to try this, but I'm a little nervous and maybe, you know, I'm not good at like approaching someone or, um, you know, I'm not good at getting certainty of whether that person's into me or not. Um, what, what advice, what guidance would you give them as, you know, one, again, from your own personal experience of what you've learned about yourself through dating and to what you're maybe hearing as feedback as like best practices for that person. Yeah, I mean, I think a common pushback is, oh, I don't feel comfortable going on a video chat. I mean, the reality is it's uh, 2022, almost 2023. So it's, yeah. uh, at this point, get, get comfortable. <laughs> yeah, get over it. I guess yeah. to say as nicely as possible, but like, it's just a really it is a really frustrating experience going on an in-person date mm-hmm. and being very confident. It's going to be good because the texting was amazing. And then you get there and you're like, whoa, I do not want to be here. And especially yeah. in some of these major markets where drinks can be a hundred dollars for a date. It's right. like, whoa. So I would just say, just jump on a video chat. Mm-hmm. You'll probably be a little nervous and that's okay. And you could share that you're nervous and you could say that's your first time doing this, but video gives you such an incredible experience that a text will never be able to provide. So I say, just try it. It's okay to be nervous. 
and don't just meet someone cold at a bar. You feel like there's maybe, because I, I can hear there's like, well, someone's like, well, I just want to meet them. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do this texting thing. I don't want to do this video thing. I just want to go straight to meeting. And but there is that, that maybe it could be seen as it's more advantageous for one gender over the other gender or, or um, I don't know. And I, or maybe people are just struggling or stuck in like, I only want to date within a certain parameter. Do you find that? this is allowing like where people are like, well, I'm in New York and I don't want to date on from the Upper West Side to the Upper East Side, or I definitely won't go to Brooklyn. Or if I'm in Brooklyn, I definitely won't go to the, you know, the Upper East Side. Do you find that this is allowing people to expand that radius, that circle? Or do you feel like there's, you're still seeing maybe, I don't know if the algorithm or you can track this, like where people are typically matching. So you can set like your radius of Mm -hmm. how far out you want to date. I think when you go on video chat, and again, based off the data, like the likelihood of you like ghosting someone after you see them on video chat is going to be a lot less than just like texting back and forth. Um, and then in terms of genders, I think there are value adds to both sides. I mean, for women, oftentimes like safety is a big one. Like, sure. is this guy who he says he is? Is he a creep? Um, and I think video just lets you kind of screen them. I think for men, it's often... Like, hey, do I have chemistry with this person? Am I going to vibe with them? And I think that goes for both parties. And yeah, I think filter off with by being video first. It's Video is the best medium at this time. Um, that's not to say in the future, there won't be other mediums that are better than video, like artificial reality. But at this time, Amazing. the technology that exists right now that makes the most sense is like just jumping on like a FaceTime. Can you imagine? I mean, that's, I mean, that, that I just realized putting together what you're doing, but then actually setting up a augmented reality or virtual reality date. I mean, is that, uh, not that I want to, you know, if there's any secret tech stuff that's going on behind the end that I, you know, you can't release yeah. it, but is, is that stuff that you guys are thinking about? Like moving, you know, in the future, as that becomes in the future, next, in yeah. the future, nothing right now in the future, but it's been, day. but it's been, but it's been floated around in a, in a little bit of a, that people are talking about that, whether it's matchmaking or. It... Um, I mean, I, I think no in comments. the future it's inevitable. <laughs> I think it's inevitable in the future. Yeah. Um, I think it's still a bit far out, but yeah, one day um, again, all people care about is, is this an authentic experience and an efficient yeah. experience? If the experience is just like an avatar character, of someone that doesn't even look like you, then that's going to lead to catfishing. So it's silly. So yeah. 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 Any any dating resources for the for the for the young professional that that you think that you've come across on your on your lap, you know, whether it's books that you've read or podcasts or uh YouTube people or anything like that that will help people leverage and benefit from what you are sharing already with the platform. Yeah, I mean good question. Um I've read David Data. I've read Love David Data. <laughs> yeah. I've read um and Tim Ferriss more personal development, but mm-hmm. he's recommended books. And there's books like She Comes First. Um there's so many books about human or intimacy. Yeah. And also just understanding like a woman's mindset, I think is very important. Mm-hmm. Um, as I think oftentimes men just focus on themselves and versus like the other party, like, am I providing a good experience to this other person? 
Um, so yeah, I think, I mean, there's lots of resources. I mean, Reddit, um, mm -hmm. you could take it, uh, as it is and some right. subreddit filter through or, it. Yeah. yeah. Filter through it. But yeah, I mean, there's lots of resources. I think reading and listening to podcasts is, uh, super important to just understanding humanity. Yeah. Well, it took a hundred and something. What am I up to? 150 something episodes for finally someone to quote, you know, to share the name David data. And so I stumbled upon him. I was in Boulder, Colorado, a bunch of years ago. And um, there was this really cool hippie. Uh, well, Boulder's all pretty hippie, but it was a hippie modern Orthodox synagogue. And on the bookshelf with all the other books was David data's the way of the superior man. I'm like, okay, this sounds, first of all, the title, the way of the superior man, right? That's, that's a pretty punch you in the face title. And then when you're reading yeah. the book, I'm like the first 20 pages, I'm like, I'm like getting upset and frustrated, like at this author. And then I like go further into it. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like right between the eyes. And then I asked a bunch of women if they read it and they read it and they're like, oh my gosh, this is so spot on, whatever. And, um, and it's so cool to see. So I don't know, is there anything that you found as a takeaway from, from that, that you found really helpful for you in your, in your own life? I don't, world? I don't recall offhand. It was yeah. a number of years ago when I've read it, but I just think also just like communication. Yeah. I've done like personal development courses that have helped me communicate better and deal with traumas or past experiences in my own life. I think very easy to bring that into relationships. So yeah. Very cool. So let's just the, let's do a few plugs. One, you have your your book that uh, you did about internships. So what's what's the name of that for everybody? If anybody who's looking for the internship stuff, they can find that. Yeah, on Amazon, you can find it. It's called Hacking the Internship Process. Awesome. And then we have Filter Off the app, which is pretty much I'm assuming on every platform at this point, both iPhone, and Android, and anywhere else we want people to uh, check out or follow or. Yeah, I mean to. we're on every major channel, Twitter, uh, Instagram, TikTok. Um, if you want to host your own virtual speeding event, you could do that right just on the website. You could find it. And if you want to host an in-person event, you could also find that on the website. Uh, we're doing in-person events right now just in New York City, and we could get you a venue, security, alcohol, DJ, all for free. Um, wow. so it's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, and filter off. It's available on android and apple it's free to use and uh hopefully we could find you uh your person nice and if i know there's the other side of what you're doing the personal branding is that still um i mean just really primarily focused on filter off obviously if people have questions or need coaching i'm available and i have a, a website that you can find me or you can find me on instagram um things like that awesome all right. So everybody, if you're single and you're listening to this, please do do, do both of us a favor and, and jump on, on Zach's uh, podcast, I mean, on, on his platform, on uh, Filter Off. And um, obviously there's some amazing good stuff. If you're in the internship stages and you're, you're right in college, graduate school, and you're trying to figure out how you can figure out what you want to be doing, you can grab his book. And Zach, I really want to thank you again. And um, you know, may you continue to have successful matches and happy, healthy relationships and hopefully it's also working out for you. I know that's like you said, it was part of your struggle of why you wanted to create it. And hopefully it's being favorable to you as well. For sure. Well thank you so much for having me on. All right. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.
Thanks for listening to the You Winning Life podcast. If you are ready to minimize your personal and professional struggles and maximize your potential, we would love it if you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at You Winning Life.